the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Well, welcome to the Frank Sontag Show. I'm Pastor Steve Wilburn with Core Church Los Angeles, and I'll be filling in once again today. Well, listen, as we have our time together, I'd like to read you a promise that God made to Abraham, who would end up being the patriarch of our faith. God said to him in Genesis chapter 12, verse 1, he says, Go forth from your country and from your relatives and from your father's house to the land which I will show you, and I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you shall be a blessing a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you. And the one who curses you, I will curse. And in you, Abraham, all the families of the earth will be blessed. Wow. (laughs) Isn't that pretty crazy? God repeated that promise to Abraham's son, Isaac, in Genesis 26. And again to Isaac's son, Jacob, in Genesis 28. Jacob, by the way, God renamed Israel. And as we know as Christians that the promised Messiah would come through that bloodline that went through Jacob's son Judah, down through Boaz, Obed, Jesse, David, and so on. This is why we as Christians are strong supporters of the nation of Israel. For Jerusalem is a city of God, and His people, Israel, have been chosen by God. They are His chosen people. God said they are the apple of my eye. And today, I have a tremendous treat for you. For in studio, sitting right next to me right now, is the Council General of Israel. His name is Dr. Hillel Newman. Dr. Newman, thank you so much for coming in and being part of our program today. to join you today. Wow. It is so wonderful to have you here. Well, as you know, we here in America have had a change in administration. Uh, And for many of us, well, it's not quite going uh, the way that we thought it was going to go. But let's think happy thoughts on that. But what many people might not know is that you have had also uh, elections in Israel and you have a new government. Can you tell us about that? Yes, sure. Um, Well, we've uh, been through two years with four election campaigns. And the result of it all was that uh, the longest-serving Prime Minister Netanyahu actually left office, and we now have a new government in Israel. And that, I think, displays more than anything else the strength of the democracy in Israel, that the voice of the people decides, and not the fear of the gun, like many of our neighbors in the Middle East. Yes. Uh, We are the one and only democracy in the entire Middle East, where the will of the people, the majority vote, decides everything. And the result was that a new prime minister, a new government has been set up with a new prime minister. The prime minister is Bennett. He only represents seven members of parliament in a 120-seated parliament. How did he get elected then? Well, the system in Israel is different. The system is a multi-party system. 
where the Prime Minister is voted in by the Parliament according to majority vote. And he managed to get 61. That's a very narrow margin uh, out of 120. He managed to get 61 to support him as Prime Minister. It's a uniting of eight different political parties. And they've all come together in order to support Bennett as prime minister. I think the most interesting aspect about this election campaign is that for the first time in history, the Arab party has joined the coalition and supporting the prime minister of Israel, which means uh, it's actually a symbol of the integration of Israeli Arabs in society. That is almost unbelievable to hear that. Uh, It's incredible to me. I want to go back just uh, just in our recent history, just, uh, you know, a month ago, uh, we were having massive uprisings there in Israel. Uh, from what I understand, and of course, you can't always know exactly what the news is telling you is true or not true. But that recent wave of violence in Israel that most of the liberal media only chooses to report on the negative talking points against Israel uh, but the fact was, there was some 4,000-plus rockets that were fired from the Gaza Strip into Israel. Yes, well, you know, unfortunately, despite the fact that Israel is a strong country with uh, tremendously positive things um, showing towards a, a wonderful, rosy future, uh, we have enemies. Uh, we have Iran out there, which is bent on the destruction of the of the state of Israel. And we have other enemies like the Hamas on our southern border and the Hezbollah on our northern border, both proxy terrorist groups supported by Iran. And what happened uh, recently, about a few months ago, was that the Hamas, which is a terrorist organization encamped in the Gaza Strip, which, by the way, was uh, totally relinquished by Israel over to the Palestinian Authority in the name of peace, under a paradigm of territories for peace. So Israel gave territory, but Israel received no peace. We received a Hamas terrorist organization encamped in the Gaza Strip. And they occasionally launch rockets according to their interests. And they launched more than 4,000 rockets against uh, the civilians of Israel. You could just imagine that an average family has 15 seconds to reach a bomber shelter to make sure that the missile does not fall on their heads and, and kill the family. So uh, we're in a situation like that. Israel had to respond, and we responded in self-defense. But we have this ongoing problem of these proxy terrorist organizations on our borders, whether it's the Hamas, the Hezbollah, and jihad organizations, which are bent on the destruction of our values, the life that we live. They're not only against Israel. They're against Western values. They're against the United States. You know, Iran calls Israel the small Satan, but they call the United States the big Satan. Yeah, it's incredible to me that the negative uh, response of many of the media outlets uh, all downplay uh, what is happening to you. If we were here in America and we were talking about this just the other day, and if Canada or Mexico started uh, launching rockets into uh, the United States and killing Americans, what would our response be? Exactly. Uh, It is incumbent upon any government to ensure the safety and security of their citizens. Um, And Israel was attacked, was attacked by 4,000 rockets uh, launched from the Gaza Strip. Any government in any country, in any place would act in order to defend their citizens. And I I say this uh, very clearly that if the United States was attacked, of course, they would do their utmost to make sure that their citizens are safe. But even the citizens themselves would call upon the government to act in order to preserve their safety and security. And there is a bias sometimes in the media 
where you see that they don't even allow the same rights that any country would have to act in self-defense. They try to deny those rights from Israel. Yes. And that is a big question. We can go into that in depth, why that is the situation. Yeah, it's, uh, it's really mind-boggling when you think about uh, everyone says, well, they should have their own country, the Palestinians, and this and that. And this is why I started off with the scripture that we started off with, because God has given that land to the people, the Hebrews, which are the Israelites, the Jews. And so uh, when I think about everything that's, that's happened uh, there and think about, uh, you know, what has gone on with this, the attitude that, you know, that is so much prevailed is that somehow you should give more area or property uh, to the Palestinians. But I don't think what people understand is many places in the world today, and uh, if we look at like uh, how many Jews are in Egypt, there's like 10 out of 100 million people. I found this stat, I found it quite amazing. In Jordan, there's no Jews that are claiming to be Jews, at least out of 10,000 people. Saudi Arabia, zero out of 34 million people. People. Lebanon, a uh, hundred people out of seven million people. I mean, so uh, Iran, four people that claim to be Jews out of a, a country of eighty-nine million. What was amazing to me is what is the entire population, uh, Doctor Newman, of Israel today? The entire population is approximately nine million. Okay, so let's like let's let's think about that. In Los Angeles County alone, there's ten and a half million people. So the entire population of this country is a million and a half less than Los Angeles County, and in that population, there is one point nine million Arabs that are allowed to live there with full freedom. Yes. Uh, not only do they are they allowed to live, but they, as you said, they have full freedom in every way. Yes. Uh, the third largest party in the parliament in the previous uh, Knesset, which is the parliament of Israel, was the Arab party. Yes. The third largest party. Uh, you can hardly imagine a Jew running in a party in one of the Arab or Muslim states. Here it, you it have an happen. Arab yeah. Muslim party, a few parties running in the parliament, and they reached a situation where they had... They're the kingmakers. In the most recent election campaign, the Arab party came in as part of the coalition and they were the kingmakers. They made Bennett the prime minister of the state of Israel. So you talk about freedom, freedom of worship, freedom of activity, freedom of everything in any way possible. You mentioned the Palestinian issue. I think in this context, we should just remember that that is the ancient homeland of Israel. Yes. You, look, you just read the Bible. Yes. You see the borders. You see the lands. What is called today uh, in the popular slogans as disputed territory, that is the ancient homeland of the ancient Israelites. Shechem, Beit Lechem. Yes. All these places are mentioned in the Bible as the places where Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and the forefathers, and then the children of Israel walked, bought the land in order to settle. So that is the ancient homeland of Israel. There never was a Palestinian state. There never was a Palestinian entity. In fact, the name Palestine comes from the Philistines, yes. which were invaders from Phoenicia. Yes. And Rome used that term in order to try and erase the Jewish identity of, the, of Israel at the time. So they called it Palestinia in order to try and erase Jewish identity. But they meant the Philistines. There never was a Palestinian Arab nation and never was recognized as such. That's an interesting fact. And, and to go from a biblical standpoint, uh, there was a problem when God called Abraham. He took his wife and he also took his nephew Lot. And 
Lot uh, caused some problems and has been some problems. So finally, Abraham said, look, you go to the left, I'll go to the right. You go to the north, I'll go to the south. Just go, go wherever. You take whatever you want. And of course, we know that Lot, the spoiled brat little nephew, he took the best of the land. He took the place that was full of, you know, pastures and what have you. But as soon as Lot left, God in Genesis 13 took Abraham to the top of the mountain and he said, Look as far as you can see to the east, to the west, to the north, to the south. I give all of this land to you. Nothing usurps what God had given to the people of Israel. Yes. Uh, you know, we prayed for 3,000 years just to return to that piece of land. Yes. We never requested other pieces of land. We never wanted to take pieces of land of other people or other nations. Just that promised land that was promised in the Bible. And you know, it's not even the richest or the wealthiest place. It's the what the Bible calls it, milk and honey, the land of milk yeah. and honey. Yeah. You know, you don't make a lot of profit from milk and honey today. Yeah. Our neighbors have gas and oil. If you look at uh, the neighbors in the Middle East, uh, they have vast reservoirs of, of gas and oil. And some people even thought maybe Moses made a mistake in navigation in taking the people of Israel <laughs> <laughs> to the one country that has the least uh, resources. But... That is our destiny. That is our land. And we make the best of it. So we make the best of it with innovation. We've become a powerhouse in innovation. But we've never complained about the piece of land that we were given. Yes. And uh, unfortunately, with all the 20 above, 20 more countries that you have in the Arab League, many of them just try and take this small piece of land from the people of Israel. This is Pastor Steve Wilburn with Core Church Los Angeles. Uh, we're in studio here right now with the Council General of Israel, Dr. Hillel Newman. So if you just tuned in, we're talking about what's happening in Israel. So, Dr. Newman, now that you have a new administration and we on our side have a new administration, uh, how are the relations between Israel and the U.S. now? Because we know in our last administration, in fact, when I was over in Israel during that administration, there were signs all over Israel. Uh, there was a tagline for our administration here was, Make America Great Again. And over there they said, Trump, make Israel great again. So, there was a, a huge amount of respect for uh, our last administration, but now we have this new administration that seems to be a little bit not as positive as the last. What are the relations between Israel right now and the United States? Yes. Well, you know, we see this relationship as a relationship based on fundamental values. It's beyond any specific individual or party. Yes. And yes. uh, we try to preserve it as such. Uh, in the, if you go back in the relations between the United States and Israel, Democrats and Republicans alike used to support this relationship, understanding the fundamental values that we both share. Uh, we never forget those that do good for us. And of course, we will be uh, forever in debt to President Trump and his administration for the good things that they did. They recognized Jerusalem, which many administrations promised to do and didn't do, and President Trump did. Uh, he recognized the Golan Heights, even uh, relocated the embassy in Jerusalem, and other things which are very important. We will not forget that. But Let's talk about the Abraham Accords. And the Abraham Accords, which, which were forged during his tenure yes. as, as president. So I think that part of, of, our, uh, of our tradition is also to recognize those that do good and recognize it in, in many ways. Um, but... With the Biden administration, we should also mention that Biden is a good friend of, of the state of Israel over four decades. 
Uh, he has the wonderful record, and the mainstream of the Democratic Party is friendly towards Israel. We have peripheral groups, both in the Democratic Party and the Republican Party, that may be uh, critical or voice criticism of this relationship. I think they are um, very mistaken. Uh, they are misguided. Uh, because the United States has no better ally than Israel, and Israel is no better friend than the United States. And the only one that the United States can rely on in the entire Middle East is the state of Israel. Yeah, there is nobody else. We have no other friend there that would be as reliable uh, than Israel would be to us. Uh, now, but we recognize that when these attacks do happen to Israel, uh, God has given what I believe is an incredible amount of innovation and wisdom to his people. And one of those things was the creation of the Iron Dome. I think there'd be a lot of people interested in hearing about that because uh, I know that during the Gulf War back in the 90s that we had set up what we called the Patriot System uh, that would help uh, these incoming Scud missiles that were coming from Iraq at the time. It seems as though, and I'm I'm just saying, it seems as though you've taken the technology that we had and advance that technology to a whole nother level with the Iron Dome. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, sure. The Patriot system was uh, is now outdated. Exactly. Uh, it, it, we, that was the first deployment of Israel of self-defense in order to try and um, intercept missiles mid-air. Uh, but it was uh, very um, weak in its, uh, in its actual uh, operative uh, benefit. So we worked on the Iron Dome, and this is a, a wonderful example of a wonderful relationship between Israel and the United States because working together, bringing together resources and brain power, we created the Iron Dome. And the Iron Dome is the first operative system that in in, in tremendous uh, beneficial way intercepts uh, missiles midair. And that way we save lives. We save American lives and Israeli lives. I can just add that uh, some of the... Um, Iron Dome uh, Barrads are now p- uh, deployed in the United States in order to save American lives from inter- in the incoming missiles, which may happen in the future. Oh, absolutely. And can I just say on the behalf of the United States of America, thank you. <laughs> but that's just the beginning of innovation. I believe it's a, a sign of God's hand of blessing. One of the things that he said in his word when we read the opening scripture was, those that bless Israel will be blessed and those who curse them will be cursed. And I think we can look over the history. I think for a Christian, uh, this is a Christian radio station, for Christians, we can look at things in the Bible and say, well, gee, well, that has panned out to be true. So here you have uh, the first book of the Bible, Genesis. Uh, Some say that the book of Job is older than Genesis, but let's just say that this is the first book of the Pentateuch, the Torah, the law of God, uh, uh, written by Moses. And and it's like, so we have this, this book in the 12th chapter, and what God said there has seems to be true, because if you go back through every world governing empire that turned its back on the Jewish people, they don't exist today. Well, what greater prophecy coming true or miracle before our eyes, uh, what can be greater than the return of the people of Israel to the ancient homeland, the land of Israel? Maybe nothing. And the reestablishing of sovereignty of the people of Israel and the re-engaging in Hebrew, the original biblical text. And every child in Israel now can read Hebrew. If that's not a miracle after so many years of persecution, Uh, even the Holocaust that the Jewish people went through. And here the people of Israel have lived 
up to see, and we see in our eye, with our own eyes today, how the eternal promise, as is written in the Bible, that the people of Israel will return to the land of Israel, and there will be an ingathering of the exiles of the people of Israel. It's all promised in the prophecies, and they're all coming true in our generation and the generation, one generation ago. Yes, that I think about Ezekiel 37, 38, and 39, all talking about Israel in the last days, the people returning to the land. Uh, as uh, any history buffs know, uh, uh, Titus, the general from uh, Rome, uh, rolled into Jerusalem and tore it down completely, burned it to the ground uh, in 70 AD. What nation of people, what people anywhere, getting back to the miracle that you just said, 1,878 years later, on May 14, 1948, Israel was once again established as a nation. And like God said, that he would pull his people back from all the winds of the earth, meaning Mm -hmm. north, south, east, and west, from every continent he has pulled people back. There is no other precedent like this where a nation comes back after thousands of years of exile, under persecution in, in most extreme conditions, and they return back to their ancient homeland and reestablish sovereignty. And they haven't lost anything of their tradition. They haven't lost anything of their language. This is really unprecedented. And yes. uh, I think that anyone with their eyes open should, uh, should be seeing here a divine guidance in one way or another. You talked about a scripture to me at one point in Zechariah 6. Can you share that? Sure. There's a scripture in, Ze- in Zechariah, Zechariah, which says that one day the people of uh, the elderly of Jerusalem, elderly of Israel, and the children will play in the streets of Jerusalem. And Zechariah said that when he were in one of the darkest periods of the history of the people of Israel. They were in exile. They were under persecution. They had no idea when they would return back to the land of Israel. It was like really a prophetic vision without any realistic support. And today, in our time, the elderly and the children of Israel can sit and play in the streets of Jerusalem. They can sit tranquilly in the, in the streets of Jerusalem. So these prophecies are coming true in our time. And there I was, I was dancing in the streets in Jerusalem on their 70th anniversary on May 14th, 2018. And they were dancing and the children were dancing in the streets. And I, as we were coming up the elevator, I was showing you the video of that. And uh, so that prophecy has come true. This is Pastor Steve Wilburn with Core Church Los Angeles. And we have the great honor of interviewing the Council General of Israel, Dr. Hillel Newman. And so we're going to continue this interview. We're going to continue walking through the scripture and walking through this time with this uh, uh, ambassador to our country, this this individual who is uh, sharing with us, you know, the glory of Israel. And we as Christians, you know, the Bible says in Psalm 122, 6, that we should pray for the peace of Jerusalem. So don't go anywhere because we're going to come right back with this interview with Dr. Newman. This is Pastor Steve Wilburn with Core Church Los Angeles, and we are in studio with the Council General of Israel, Dr. Hillel Newman. We are so thankful for you to be here, Dr. Newman. Welcome back. And 
we've been talking about all these serious subjects here, but I have to throw this in only because I know it about you and because I spend so much time in the oceans of the world. But you went out on your very, I have to say too, I'm jealous of this. I covet this. Uh, I'm not trying to sin here, but it's like I have been in the ocean so many times and I thought I was going to wow you with a story once I heard that you're a scuba diver, but you have to share with our audience before we get back in here on the main subjects of Israel, you went scuba diving the very first time. What happened to you? Well, uh, my nephew was actually an instructor of scuba diving in Thailand. So I decided together with my brother-in-law that we'll go and, and learn. Uh, I always had this dream of, of swimming in the, in the ocean and seeing the natural beauty of the ocean live. So we went all out there, and uh, they, they don't have any pool training or anything. You just learn the rules, and then you go straight out to the sea. There's no, <laughs> <laughs> there's no kindergarten or anything. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> so we went for the first journey. We went out to the sea. They take a boat, travel out into the middle of the ocean, and then they say, okay, we all jump in. So we all slide into the water. And what do we see? This is my first time in the water. We had what's called a shark whale, which is one of the <laughs> biggest fish in the world. They're like 45 just, feet long. <laughs> it was amazing. And we were, we were floating around this enormous, gigantic fish. One of, really, I think it's the biggest fish in the world. It is. Uh, yeah, it is the biggest fish in the world. Uh, yeah. Only whales can be bigger than this. <laughs> yeah, and that was my first time. When we came out of the out of the water, and we were all, of course, you know, overwhelmed with this. And there was a guy there who was swimming around. I said to him, we started talking, and he said he's been diving for ten years in order to see a fish like this. <laughs> And he was so frustrated that, uh, <laughs> that I am the first time. So. Oh, I, well, when I, when, I read, when I was reading your bio, and I'm reading all of these things, you were the ambassador of Israel in two different Muslim countries. You taught at Boston University, all of these things. And I, I see this one little clip that you're a scuba diver. And I'm like, oh, I got to ask him about scuba diving because I was scuba diving off of Baja, California. And I ran into a manta ray that was about 18 feet wide. And, uh, and I'm thinking, oh, I'm going to wow him with this. And then you tell me the whale shark and I'm like, okay, well, never mind. (laughs) Well, getting back to, uh, Uh, the different subjects that we're talking about. So uh, President Trump, we know that he recognized uh, Jerusalem as the capital of Israel. Many administrations talked about it. No one did it but him. He also recognized the importance of the Golan Heights as a buffer zone. I don't think many people understand the size of Israel. The entire country is the size of uh, uh, New Jersey here in the United States, just New Jersey alone. It's a very small country, and so he recognized that buffer zone that was needed there. But he also was uh, instrumental in helping, and it happened under his watch, uh, the Abraham Accords. And really, there wasn't a lot uh, mentioned on the secular news about this simply because uh, of our president. But this was a huge deal. Uh, Why don't you talk about that for a moment? Sure. The Abraham Accords is amazing. Uh, we had, in a period of a few months, uh, four additional Arab states come forward and establish peace, normalize their relations with Israel. You know, since the establishment of Israel in 1948, Israel extended its hand in peace and friendship to the entire global community, and that included, of course, the entire Muslim and Arab world. Yes. Uh, the response was total rejection. 
the entire Arab League, which was 22 Arab states, rejected the existence of the state of Israel and refused to even recognize the existence. And then you have the whole Muslim bloc, which yes. is a large bloc of more than 50 countries in the UN. And they also refused to recognize, many of them refused to recognize Israel. We look now 72 years later since the establishment of Israel, we have managed to make peace, establish peace with Egypt and Jordan. Yes. Although they're, they're very cold, it's a very cold peace. It hasn't really penetrated into the masses, into the population. It's really yeah. a peace. It's a peace on a piece of paper. Yes. It's not a real peace. Yeah. But today, with the Abraham Accords, we're expanding the, um, the circle of peace, uh, which is reaching now way out to the Persian Gulf. And for the first time, we're establishing peace for peace, yes. recognition, each mutually recognizing each other, not for all kinds of personal interests, but for the good of humanity and the good of society and the cooperation. And this is a, a dream come true for the people of Israel who always wanted this friendship and peace with the entire Arab and Muslim world. Um, they, they have internalized that Israel is an ally and not an enemy. They understand the benefits that they can get from Israel and its innovation. And they also understand that Israel is an ally in the confronta- confronting of Iran. That's Iran right. is a, a regional threat, not only to Israel and the United States. I believe they're a global threat. Agreed. Agreed. Yes. Uh, but if you look at it regionally, then they, it starts off, you know, the threat always starts off close by. Yeah. So we start off with the threat to to. The United States, Israel, and the Persian Gulf, and the, many of these Persian Gulf states uh, fear uh, the ramifications of even establishing relations with Israel. Yes. Well, so speaking of you know relations, how are the relations going with the Palestine Authority right now, and what what are the prospects of peace? Because that that's really the hot topic. It's like how can we have peace here, but. Obviously, just from a, a novice standpoint, you can't have peace when someone's, uh, you know, launching rockets into your into your neighborhood. How are things today? Because obviously, everything settled down from this last uprising. Where are things at with that relationship with the Palestine? Authority? Well, be, if, if you allow me, just before I go into the Palestinian issue, yes. let me just mention one story, which I think uh, demonstrates the wonderful warmth of the relationship between Israel and the Arab, uh, what, under the Arab... Yes, please, because that's the UAE that came into that, United yes, I, Arab Emirates, yes. Yes, under the Abraham Accords, you know, uh, there was an Egyptian singer that um, took a photo with an Israeli singer, Omer Adam. And when the Egyptian singer returned to, return to Egypt, he was criticized and outcast by the artistic guild in, in Egypt, and they accused him of, how did you dare take a photo with an Israeli? And he started apologizing and get, getting into an apologetic mode of, uh, I didn't know he was an Israeli, and all kinds of e- explanations like that. Well, that picture was taken in UAE, where Omer Adam, the Israeli singer, was invited officially to come and give public performances. And that shows the uh, enormous gap between the kind of zero-sum old-thinking, traditional old-school of the right. Arab and Muslim world like Egypt and Jordan and the new um, approach that we see today coming forth from UAE, Bahrain, and other countries in the Persian Gulf where they seek the closeness and they want warmth uh, with Israel. And Israel has always seeked this. We always extended a hand in peace and friendship. And now this leads me to the Palestinian issue. If the Palestinians would make that choice yes. of a warm relationship, recognizing Israel, and working together with Israel, there would, there would be peace long time ago, and they would benefit, they would have livelihood. They, as you said before, those that 
work with Israel are blessed by this, by this working together with Israel. The Palestinians could have had this blessing a long time ago. Yes. The problem is that they choose wrong. And they never miss an opportunity to miss an opportunity is the famous statement. Yes. Uh, they've chosen all throughout the, the decades-long process of peace against peace. Uh, a few deals were put on the table. They rejected them all without even presenting a counteroffer. Now, if someone wants peace, the first thing they do is they come and they give a counteroffer or they try to promote a peace deal. Israel and the United States were the ones who put a peace deal on the table, and the Palestinians rejected it without any counteroffer. And that, I think, is an, uh, displays the fact that the Palestinians have not re- yet decided whether they really want peace with Israel, whether they're prepared to accept Israel in any border. And they're split between the Fatah and the Hamas, where the Hamas rejects Israel in any border. So we should understand that this issue is, is very complex. Israel has gone along with the paradigm of territories for peace. It gave territory, relinquished territory, and didn't receive peace. We received rockets from the Gaza Strip and terrorist attacks from the West Bank. So this process is very complex, and what it really needs is a Palestinian decision to make peace with Israel. You know, you would think... Uh the natural mind would think that the Palestinian people, I'm not talking about the leadership, I'm talking about the moms and the dads, the ones that are working down uh, downtown, the ones that are raising children, you would think that they would want peace. Uh, Golda Meir, who was uh, our prime minister a few decades ago, was actually one of the first female leaders of a country in the world. Uh, she came forth and she said a very powerful statement. She said that <coughs> when the Palestinians will love their children more than they hate Israel and the people of Israel, there will be peace. That is a powerful statement, to say the least, because that's really what it comes down to. Uh, No good thing comes out of hate. Uh, Good things come out of love. And when you have chosen uh, with your own uh, set of uh, ideology, your own ideas, to hate a nation simply because that nation is there to exist— Uh, No good is going to come out of that. And again, uh, like I said at the end of our last segment, uh, this is why we need as believers in Christ. This is why we need to pray for the peace of Jerusalem. Uh, God has commanded us to do this. Uh, God wants peace in this country. God wants peace in this region. Uh, Israel is the breadbasket of the entire Middle East. Uh, They produce everything from... uh, tangerines, oranges, bananas, blue bananas, everything you could imagine. Uh, They're there, literally the breadbasket for that entire region. They have so much to offer to the nations around them. Well, this is Pastor Steve Wilburn with Core Church Los Angeles, and I'm interviewing here the Council General of Israel, uh, Dr. Hillel Newman, and he is in studio here. We're going to take a quick commercial break, and we will be right back. Make sure you don't go anywhere. Well, this is Pastor Steve Wilburn with Cork Church, Los Angeles, and I'm so thankful to be sitting in studio with the Consul General of Israel. We are here with Dr. Hillel Newman. And Dr. Newman, we've been talking about so many different subjects, but I can't really miss this because there seems to be here in America and really around the world a little bit of an uptick of anti-Semitism. Uh, you know, it seems like if you say anything against any people group, uh, any kind of lifestyle, 
It is absolutely rejected by all political stands, uh, the media, uh, uh, culture as we know it will cancel you. But they don't really defend as well as other subjects anti-Semitism. Anti-Semitism, as you know, is a hostility and a prejudice towards Jewish people. Why do you think that is? Well, unfortunately, there is a rise in anti-Semitism globally and even in the United States of America today. Yes. Uh, it's quite um, hard to believe. Uh, only 70, 80 years after the Holocaust, where 6 million Jews perished uh, just because they were Jews. Uh, you ask why this is? Well, I think it has mythological and theological approaches and even scholarly approaches. Uh, my inclination is to see it as, you know, as the, there is the principle of free will. And everyone must decide in life which path to take, whether to take a value-orientated life or a materialistic life, uh, whether to be pro-Israel or anti-Israel. And um, that is a choice that every single individual must make in their life, during their life, their, what we what might call life-changing decisions. And uh, uh, you mentioned before, Pastor, that those that bless Israel will be blessed and those that curse Israel will be cursed. So one always has that choice of being those that bless Israel or those that curse Israel. That is the free, free will, the freedom of choice, and also reward and punishment are as a result of every individual's choice in life. And unfortunately, there are many who choose the wrong path in life. They go against justice. They go against the Bible. They go against historical um, tradition. And they choose the path of hating Jews or hating Israel as the one and only Jewish state. You know, we see three stages in the development of, of anti-Semitism. The first stage was just the hatred of Jew for religious reasons. The second stage was the racial hatred of Jews, which we saw in the Nazi period, where it didn't even help if a Jew converted or didn't convert, just that by race they were annihilated. And the third stage that we see today is uh, the, the stage of the hatred towards the state of Israel, because it's not so trendy anymore to attack Jews as Jews, so they attack the Jewish state. But it's the same classic anti-Semitism, hatred of the Jews, uh, just because they're different or just because they're an antithesis to uh, the way um, that yes. they hold. One of the things that I would suggest all of our listeners, uh, when I was living back in the Washington, D.C. area, I was living in northern Virginia. And in Washington, D.C., they had built uh, a brand new museum that was called the Holocaust Museum. Uh, I was living back there in the late 80s, early 90s. And when this museum opened up, uh, I went through that. And I probably spent, uh, because you can go at your own pace, I probably spent four hours in this museum, maybe five hours. When I came out of the museum, I don't think I could even talk for a few hours. I had to decompress just watching what had happened in the Holocaust. And I've been to the Holocaust Museum there in Jerusalem. And there's one built right here on the west side of LA. I believe it's on Pico right off of uh, Robertson. Mm -hmm. And uh, just a little uh, off of where I used to live there in Beverlywood. And so uh, I would suggest, you know, please, uh, 
go through that museum because it is a real eye-opener of the pain and the suffering that these people have had to endure, which I believe, because you said it's a spiritual side too, uh, a scriptural side, and that's because I believe that God has created us in his image, that we are created in the image of God, and that the Jewish people are God's chosen people. You cannot deny that. It's written all through uh, the Bible. So uh, knowing that, it's like I believe that there's a wicked one, Satan, that wants to rise up and go against uh, what God holds as pure and holy and, and set apart for himself. So uh, yeah, I would encourage you to do that. So tell me real quickly here, the relations between, you know, the com- Christian community uh, and the Israel community. Well, there's only one country in the entire Middle East where the Christian community is flourishing and enjoys total freedom, and that's Israel. Yes. Uh, we should be clear about this, okay? There's a lot of uh, mis, uh, yeah. <laughs> disinformation and um, misconceptions. Israel is the only country where the Christian communities flourish, and I can tell you that the people of Israel love the Christian community in Israel. Um, there is a lot of cooperation in many aspects, and this comes from the fact that we come from the same heritage, we come from the same foundations, the yes. same values. Yes. The Judeo-Christian heritage is what guides us, and uh, we are so proud of the fact that many... Um, most of the Christian denominations continue the line. They take the Old Testament and, and move on with the New Testament, but they do sanctify the Old Testament, which is our Bible, the Hebrew Bible. Absolutely. So we, we feel that we're kinship, we're, we're cousins, brothers, uh, yes. whatever you would like to call it, but we're yes. family. Yes. We're one family. And uh, that's why um, you will see in Israel, anyone who visits Israel, uh, the holy sites are preserved uh, sacredly. Um, Freedom of worship and freedom of access to the different sites is sanctified by Israel. Uh, you know, we have so yes. many uh, different denominations and different pressures coming from different denominations, including from the Muslim side against uh, other uh, worshipping uh, worship worshippers. And Israel sanctifies the status quo and makes sure that no Christian denomination is affected negatively in any way. Yes. Um, this status quo is, is very difficult to maintain. You have, for instance, the old city of Jerusalem, which is one square kilometer, where you have so many denominations in the, the uh, Church of the Holy Sepulchre and, and such important sites for Christianity in, in a, such a densely populated area. And Israel makes sure that all sensitivities are respected and that everyone enjoys freedom of worship. Amen. And I just want to remind our Christian brothers and sisters, the foundation of the New Testament, the 27 books of the New Testament, the foundation is the 39 books that we call the Old Testament, which is the Hebrew Bible. Uh, Everything that is written by Moses in the Pentateuch, the Torah, the law of God in the first five books that Moses wrote, the criteria for the New Testament is nothing can contradict what was previously written in those books. And the New Testament either quotes uh, per verse completely or it, uh, you know, assumes a, a pattern of a verse some 800 times in the New Testament quoting of the Old Testament. So uh, it's like uh, if there is no Old Testament, there is no Christianity. So this is why we support Israel. We only have two minutes left, Dr. Newman. So tell me about the innovation of Israel. Sum it up. I cannot believe how God has blessed Israel. There's so many things from irrigation to uh, unbelievable electronics. But you were telling me they are rated like number one and two in innovation in the world in some areas. Can you tell us about that? 
Uh, sure. Innovation. Well, we're uh, thank God. Thank God. Yes. <laughs> Amen. Amen. Um, this is a religious station, so we should say thank God, and we should uh, bless um, the divine guidance for our blessings. Yes. And uh, Israel was never blessed, as I said before, with natural resources, so we had to rely on our innovation, on our brain power. And uh, we're lucky that this is actually the future. The future yes. is not gas and oil. The future is innovation. And innovation touches every aspect of our life. Uh, as you said, from agriculture to medicine to smart mobility in smart cities. And we're just happy that Israel is a powerhouse in these fields. Wow, that is such a blessing. I just want to ask you one more thing. It's like, how can we as Christians pray for you in Israel? You can always pray for us, and your prayers are accepted warmly and, and uh, with deep appreciation. And we also pray for you. Thank you. Uh, but we would ask the Christian communities to, to stand with Israel, understand that there are a lot of um, misconceptions and disinformation spread out there. When you hear something negative about Israel, don't believe it. Come to us and ask questions. Thank you so much, Dr. Newman. This is Pastor Steve Wilburn with Core Church Los Angeles, and we just interviewed Dr. Newman. He is the Council General of Israel. God bless you, sir. Thank you. Thank you.